If you would turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. A couple of weeks ago, uh, last time I shared with you what God had put on my heart, we talked about the value of knowing God. And uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, he, he tells us in a very descriptive way how valuable knowing God is. And if you were here, you remember the, the analogy he used, he used the analogy of poop to describe the value of knowing God, how valuable it is. I'll let you go back and read that. It's, uh, I love Paul. He's, he's just so creative in the way that he words things. And uh, it might be gross for some to hear that, but uh, he said it. I didn't say it. But anyways, we're, we're going to talk more about knowing Jesus because we talked about the value of knowing him. But today I want to talk more about how you know Jesus, how to know Jesus. It's so important, church, that we know Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is speaking, and he says, This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Church, if you want to have eternal life, you have to know God. You have to know God. Amen. I want to read, uh, we're going to read actually the whole chapter of John chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, we're just going to read straight on through it. So buckle up. Here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly, someone say quickly. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And then he spit on the ground. <laughs> I love it. Jesus is so poetic with his words. And then you can just kind of imagine it. <laughs> He spits on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva. That's beautiful. And he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Praise the Lord. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, no, 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 he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What, what happened? And he told them, the man, someone say the man. The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know. He replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious leaders, but not just religious leaders. They were also civil leaders in their time. They took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. 
That sounds like a fun bunch to be around, doesn't it? Yes. This man Jesus is not from God because he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. That sounds a lot like the days we're living in. Then the Pharisees again questioned the blind man, or the man who had been blind, and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Someone say a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been born blind and could now see, so they called in his parents, and they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? And his parents replied, we know this. I know I'm getting you to say a lot of things this morning, but if you would just humor me. I'm a youth pastor. I'm used to them talking all the time during service, so I've got to have a little bit of talking going on. Say this. Say, we know. We know this is our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know. Say, we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the church, from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born, by, been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Someone say, we know. I don't know. Someone say, I don't know. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. But I know, say I know, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Whoo! Mmm. But what did he do, they asked, how did he heal you? Again, this must have been a really fun bunch. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know. Someone say, we know. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know. Say, we don't even know where this man comes from. Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Do you remember being a, a younger child, 10, 11, 12 years old maybe, and you get in an argument with one of your friends at school? And you know you're right. And then they prove you wrong. You remember that feeling? Like, oh, snap, I, I'm not correct in what I'm saying. And you've been proven wrong, but you don't want to seem like you've been proven wrong. So what do you do? You just start pushing at that person's character. You start degrading them. You start talking bad about them. Listen, nothing new. This is nothing new. This is exactly what the Pharisees said. They had just been proven wrong. And, and this is what they say in verse 34. It says, you were born a total sinner. They don't even come back with what the blind man had told them. They just start degrading his character. They, they answered, you are trying to teach us? And then they threw him out of the synagogue. And this next part is so beautiful. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. Wow. 
And he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Or some versions say the Son of God. The man answered, who is he, sir? Someone say, sir. I want to believe in him. Look at this next part. This next few words that Jesus said probably changed this man's life. He says, you have seen him. The man who was born blind and had never seen anything as long as he had been alive. And Jesus is now saying, hey, you have seen the Son of God. Wow, that's beautiful. And he is speaking to you. Look at the blind man or the formerly blind man's reply. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And then here are the fun guys, the Pharisees. They were standing nearby, and they heard him, and they asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty, or you are guilty, because you claim you can see. Father, we thank you for this word. God, I pray today that we would be a people that truly see, that we wouldn't just be a people that think we see but live in darkness, but we would be a people that see you for who you are. God, that we would know you and know your heart. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. Amen. We got to know Jesus. This last week, my wife, Emily, and my two boys and myself, we flew to Washington State to spend a week up there with a couple of friends and enjoy the beautiful scenery up there. If you know anything about me, you know that I love the national parks. It's one of my bucket list goals, one of my life goals to visit all 64 of the national parks in the United States of America. As of right now, I'm sitting at having been to 12 of them, so I'm on my way. I'm getting there. Uh, And so whenever we decided to fly up to Washington, uh, naturally I got online and I started looking around to find out what national parks would be close to where we were going, where our friends live up there. And uh, so I got online and I found out that there's three national parks in the state of Washington, and I, you know, did all the math and, you know, I was counting the days and, and looking at our schedule of what we we're going to do and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, we could probably plan to go to two of these parks while we're in Washington. And so we fly up there. We, we're staying at our friend's house and, and we're just enjoying some good company. And I said, well, you know, what do you guys have planned, you know, while you're here? And I said, well, I want to go to a couple of the national parks. And so we decided to go to two. We decided to go to Olympic National Park. It's a beautiful park. It's, it has some coastland right there on the, the Pacific coast. Um, it's got a rainforest, some beautiful old-growth rainforest. And uh, it's also got some mountains, a big, huge mountain range there, the Cascade Mountain Range. And it's a beautiful park. And we also decided to go to Mount Rainier National Park. And uh, Mount Rainier is actually a volcano. Uh, According to the interwebs, it says that Mount Rainier is the most dangerous active volcano in the world. Did not know that until we went there. uh, But we wanted to go see it. I wanted to go see it. Uh, It's beautiful, all the pictures I had seen of it. I'd been talking with Randy Garrison. He had told me about going up to Seattle several weeks back and, and seeing it's just this massive volcano just protruding out of the landscape. There are no mountains around. It's just this huge volcano just boom right in the middle of this wonderful, beautiful landscape. And, and so I wanted to go. 
And so my wife, Emily, and my two boys, and myself, and our, our friend Victoria, we get in the car. Victoria's husband had to work that day, so he wasn't able to go with us. And so the five of us, we get in our little rental car, and we drive over to Mount Rainier. And on our way there, we were talking. We're talking about the mountain. And I don't remember what we were saying, but I mentioned the name Mount Rainier. And Victoria, she said, why do you call it that? I said, well, first of all, because that's its name. Why, why don't you call it that? She said, no, no, no. Why do you say it like that? I said, well, first of all, that's how you pronounce Rainier. It's spelled R-A-I-N like rain, I-E-R, Rainier. And she said, no, you're saying it weird. I said, well, how do you say it? She said, it's Mount Rainier. I said, Victoria. Say it one more time. She said it one more time. I said, we're saying the exact same thing. I'm saying Mount Rainier. You're saying Mount Rainier. She said, no, no, it's different. It just sounds weird the way you're saying that. I said, we're saying the same thing. We pull up to the entrance. You know, you got to pay a fee to get in the park. We pull up to the entrance, roll down the window, and we're, we're you know, uh, I'm showing the, the attendant my park pass, and, and, uh, and Emily says, hey, hey, ask her, ask her. So I asked the park ranger that was there at the entrance, I said, how do you pronounce Mount Rainier? And she said, you're saying it correctly. I turned around to Victoria and I said, I'm saying it correctly. And apparently you are too because we're saying the same thing. And she said, no, 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 we're, we're not. It's, it's different. She said, watch this. I guarantee you whenever we get home tonight and we talk to Ethan and we tell him about our experience here at Mount Rainier, He's going to say, oh, I thought y'all were going to Mount Rainier. I said, Victoria, you're still saying the same thing. And here's the thing. Even if what we are saying is even kind of different, it is so close to being the exact same thing that no one on God's beautiful volcanic earth is going to ever doubt for one minute that we went to a different place that had a name so close to the one we're going to. He's going to assume we're, we went to Mount Rainier. She's like, no, you're saying it different. I promise you, when we get home. So we enjoyed our day there. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, the, the mountain, we got a couple pictures, actually. I don't know, did you already put them up there? You might have, we'll show you. Go pictures. Some beautiful waterfalls. Absolutely beautiful forests. Got the two boys there. That was fun. Uh, there's Jack at the bottom. You can see the arrow. There's some trees that have fallen over. Just beautiful, big forest there, Mount Rainier. And uh, you can see the, the volcano in the background. It's actually completely covered in glaciers. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing to see a volcano covered in glaciers all year long. It's uh, white. It looks like it's snow-capped. And some of it is snow, but most of that is glaciers. It's pretty cool. Um, and then everywhere we go, we have to represent. So I take my Texas flag and we take a picture. I got my flag hanging up in my office. You can go down there tonight and look at it, or today and look at it. I got my flag hanging up in my office and all the parks I've been to with pictures of me and holding a flag in there. So anyways, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. We get home that night. We're all sitting around in the living room. Ethan's home from work now. And Victoria, she's looking straight at me and she's talking to Ethan. And she said, yeah, so Mount Rainier was beautiful. I am not even kidding, church. 
Ethan says, I thought y'all were going to Mount Rainier. I, y'all, I lost it. Emily and Victoria, they are just busting out laughing, just hysterically laughing. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? There's, there's, they say, no, you're saying Rainier, like Ray was near the volcano. Rainier, Rainier. We are saying Rainier, as in it is Rainier where we live. It's more rainy where we live. It's Rainier where we live. You say Rainier, we're saying Rainier. I said, well, say it fast. They said, Rainier. I said, okay, now let me say it fast. Rainier. It sounds the same. <laughs> Yo, I was blown away, but it wasn't because of their, their freakishly weird ability to distinguish minute little sound waves that uh, almost have no difference from one another. What blew my mind was that Victoria knew her husband so well that she could tell me what he would be thinking hours before we got in that conversation with him. And let me tell you, church, we should know God in that way, that we know his thoughts, that we know his motives, that we know his character, not just his words. We need to know his word, but we need to know his heart too. Someone say amen. Amen. So point number one today is know him with your heart. Know him with your heart. As a Bible student, I went to Bible college. I love theology. I love theology. Theology comes from two Greek words, theos, meaning God, and logia, meaning science or study. So theology literally means the study of God. And so I, I love looking in the Bible. I love uh, seeing minute little details that, that spark my interest. I love learning about theology. But can I encourage you today, if you are not the world's most well-versed theologian, you can still know Jesus. You can still know Jesus. And we should know him not just with our minds, but with our hearts. In this passage of scripture that we read in John chapter 9, uh, it, it says the disciples, they came to Jesus, and, and uh, they, you know, started asking Jesus, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why was he born blind? Jesus, there is a theological problem here. What's your answer? You, you, you seem to be a really smart guy, so what's the answer? Did this man sin? Is that why he was born blind, or did his parents sin? And this was a common theological question back then, because people were struggling with the issue, you know, why do people suffer? And this man, he was born suffering, so what, did he sin in the womb, or did his parents sin that caused him to be blind? And they had this theological question. And I love Jesus, because in this moment, he said, man, it wasn't because of their sin. Forget that. You're thinking about theology right now, and we're looking at a man that's suffering? And he says this, he said, this happened so that the glory of God could be revealed in him. And that one little scripture right there, has caused the church to go into another theological debate. Well, you know, does God allow or does God cause people to suffer so that he can show his power in them? But if you were to go back and look at the original Greek translation, which the New Testament was written in Greek, so John chapter 9 is in the New Testament. If you go back and look at the original Greek translation, it's punctuated a little bit differently than our English translations of the Bible are. And if, if, if you were to go back and read it, it kind of gives you the idea of this. Jesus doesn't necessarily say that 
This man was born blind so just so that God could show his power. But what he's saying here is that this man, because he was born blind, God will show his power in him. Not that God's will somehow determined that he would be born blind so that God could show his power, but because he was born blind, Jesus would show his power. That's why Jesus said, hey, we got to get to work. While it's daylight right now, we got to work because night's going to come and the, no work will be able to be done. Jesus is saying this, hey, while I'm here and since this man is suffering, let's get to work. So the disciples, they bring a theological question. Jesus, why is this man suffering? Is it because he's a sinful person? Jesus said, man, forget theology for a moment. There is a hurting person right now. And while I'm here, I got to get to work because he's been suffering for far too long. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? I love it. I love so much because I love reading the scriptures because it reveals the heart of God. Not just his works, but his motives behind his works. So beautiful. See, the disciples saw this blind man as a theological problem, but Jesus saw the blind man as a suffering person. And I would be a fool not to believe, or I'd be a fool to believe, that there are some in here that are not suffering. We have people, I, I guarantee every single one of us is suffering with something. We're going through something. There's some kind of dilemma in your life right now. If there's not, then please tell me the secret to your ways, because uh, I'd like to know. But we're all going through something right now. Can I tell you this today? I, I really believe there's someone in here that needs to hear this. God does not see you as some theological problem that needs to be solved, as some kind of ancient biblical riddle, Jesus sees you as his child, as a person. And we can argue theology all day long, but in the end, Jesus says, I want your heart, not just your mind. We as Christians, we should be theologians. We should study and read the scriptures, but we have to know him beyond just a mental knowledge. We need to know him with our hearts. Come on, someone say amen. God is so good. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 7. I love this verse. This has stuck out to me for several years now. It says, God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Whenever Moses was leading the people of Israel into the promised land, the Bible tells us that God revealed his deeds to the people. In other words, his works, his miracles. They got to see the pillar of, of cloud and the pillar of fire. They got to see the water come out of the rock. They got to see the manna rain down from heaven and the quail. They got to see the uh, Red Sea split wide open so that they could cross through. They saw his deeds, but God said, I revealed my character to Moses. In other words, I revealed to Moses why I did the things I did. I reveal to him my heart behind the miracles. Church, we should be a people that desire so much, not just to see God's hand, but to see God's heart. We need to know God's heart. David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, he, this is what he says to Solomon, his son, right before David dies. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, he says, And you, Solomon, my son, Know the God of your father. Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole 
Come on, help me out. Serve him with a whole a heart and a willing mind. I love David says this. Listen, you need to know God with your heart. And you need to know God with your mind. You need to serve God with your heart. And you need to serve God with your mind. Can I be bold today and just say what you read in the scriptures is not enough if you want to know God. We should start with the scriptures. And I'm not saying do away with the Bible. Please don't misunderstand me. That is not what I'm saying at all. That should be where we start every single morning. But if all you're doing is just filling your head with knowledge about Jesus, you will never get to know Jesus. We need to know him with our minds and with our hearts. I love this, the blind man. They call the, the Pharisees called him in the second time, and they tell him, hey, listen, you're giving Jesus the credit. You shouldn't give Jesus. You should give God the credit for what happened because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. This man said, listen, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but there is one thing I do know. I may not have the world's best theology, but there is one thing I do know. I once was blind, and then I met Jesus. Come on. Come on. We have to know him beyond just the theology. Listen, the Pharisees, they were experts in the law. They were experts in the words of God. But even they in this moment were struggling. And at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus is talking with the, the blind man. He said, listen, I came so that I could give sight to the blind and to show those that think they see that they are blind. And the Pharisees are like, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus is like, hey, you're guilty. He's talking to the experts in the law of Moses. The experts, whenever it comes to the prophets that had come before them and what they say, they were the experts. And Jesus says this, you're blind as a bat. You don't even know God. In fact, in John chapter 6, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus having another talk with some Pharisees, and he said this, you don't even know him. You don't even know him. Wow. So you're telling me we can read the Bible cover to cover and still not know God? Absolutely. We have to know him not just with our heads, but we've got to know him with our hearts. We've got to be the people that say, hey, listen, I may not have the answer to all of the world's problems and issues and questions, but one thing I do know, I once was blind, and now I can see because I met Jesus. Know him with your heart. Here's point number two. Know him by faith. Know him by faith. I've talked with quite a few people since I've been a pastor, and I love when people are honest. Like when they will tell you, like, you know, just straight up. And I love it when people say, hey, listen, I'm having a hard time believing in God. Did you know that there are some people right here in this church that are having a difficult time believing in God. There are people in our youth group that have come for years and years, and they'll tell me, I'm having trouble believing whether or not God is even real. They're going through a struggle. And I can sit there and give them all of the answers to theology that I know, but in the end, they need to know them with their heart, but we also need to know him by faith. And so people say, well, listen, it's hard for me to just have blind faith in God because it doesn't make sense. 
It's illogical. And what if he's not real? It's just hard for me to put my faith in something that I'm not sure about. If I knew God first, then I could put my faith in him. But listen, in the kingdom of God, a lot of things are switched around backwards. If you want to know Jesus, you have to first have faith in him. You can read through the word of God and, and learn about him, but if you want to know him intimately, you have to put your faith in him first. You have to put your faith in him First, they say, I, I don't know. It's just hard for me to put my faith in something that I'm just not sure about, that I just don't know. But can I, can I tell you this? If, for, if you've ever thought, hey, the, the idea of blind faith is just a foreign concept to me, can I encourage you today? It's not as foreign as you think. The idea of faith is not as foreign as you think. Why? Because we put our faith in things all the time. You put your life savings in the bank in good faith that the FDIC will secure that life savings. And we don't know what our country is going to do tomorrow. Just in the past few years, we have seen things that we never thought would happen in our country. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but yet we put our faith in, in something blindly. You put your faith in social media. Every time you put your personal information in there, Anytime you say, hey, we've got a garage sale coming out, come out to uh, 123 Main Street. Now your address is all over social media in faith that no one's going to rob you. <laughs> have you ever done, you don't have to raise your hands, we don't want to embarrass anybody, but have you ever done one of those quizzes on Facebook? And you may think, you know, I'm talking to the younger generation. Can I tell you this? The younger generation doesn't use Facebook. I'm talking to a lot of the older. I've had to tell my parents this a couple times, like, listen, don't ever do a quiz on Facebook. Have you noticed the quizzes on Facebook, they're always like, uh, you know, find out what personality you are or something like that. And then they'll say, you know, answer these 10 questions. And one is like, you know, what was your, the most favorite vacation you ever went on? Or, you know, what, what's your dog's name or anything like that? And have you ever noticed whenever you create an account for anything online, if you forget your password, they have backup questions that you can answer so that if you ever forget your password, you can answer these questions and they will send you an email to create a new password. Did you ever notice these questions are usually stuff like, what's your pet's name? Or what was your favorite vacation? <laughs> it's because whenever we do this, listen, we're putting information out there in blind faith that no one's going to destroy our identity. <laughs> blind faith is not a foreign concept to us. Parents, what about whenever you take your kids to school and you drop them off at a daycare or, or a public school with complete strangers for eight hours every single day? You're having faith that your children will be taken care of. You're flesh and blood. Don't tell me that faith is a foreign concept to you. Faith is a part of who we are. Faith is how God made us to live. Every time you step on an airplane, you're having faith that your pilot not only has the right knowledge and the right expertise, but also the right motives to get you from point A to point B. Every time you step on, you're putting your faith in someone you don't know. Faith is not a foreign concept. God created us to be a people of faith. So can I ask you a question? Why is it so difficult for us to put our complete faith in the God who accepts sinners? Why is it hard for us to put our faith in the creator who, who flung the stars into the sky just for our enjoyment and just for his glory? Why do we find it hard to put our faith in Jesus? 
I love his quotes from Martin Luther. He says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Wow. Wow. We should be a people of faith. If you want to, you can turn just a couple of pages backwards into John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus, he is teaching some people that had, had come. They had seen the miracle of him feeding 5,000 people. And, and so now the people are coming back to Jesus the next day, and they're like, hey, do it again. Do another miracle. Show us something cool. And Jesus tells them, he said, man, y'all, y'all are too focused on temporary things. Basically saying, man, I made food happen for you, and I gave you lunch yesterday, and you just want that again. You should be focused on more eternal things. They said, no, no, just give us, you know, do it again. Show us, you know, let brain rain down from heaven. We saw, we know Moses, he called bread down from heaven. Jesus said, first of all, this is in John chapter 6. I'm paraphrasing. This is the, the first Samuel version. <laughs> Same wisdom, uh, New Living version. And uh, so anyways, Jesus says, listen, Moses didn't do anything. It was my Father in heaven that sent bread down. And let me tell you right here today, he has sent the living bread down from heaven. If you just believe in me and that the Father sent me. And then he goes on to say, all you have to do is eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, whoa. Wow, that's... Say, what? Jesus, you've said some kind of strange things. You've done some things that weren't real you know, conventional. But what did you say? You, you want us to eat your flesh and drink your blood? That's too strange. And so this is what happens in uh, John chapter 6, in verse 66, it says this. After this, after Jesus said these things, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, he said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, listen, there were a lot of times when Peter answered, and he's kind of stuck his foot in his mouth, this is one of the beautiful times he did. Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. Someone say believed. And have come to know. Someone say come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen, if you want to come to know Jesus, you first have to believe. Peter says this. Listen, whenever you called us, we didn't know who you were, but we believed that you were the Messiah. But now not only do we believe, we have come to know that you are the Messiah. Listen, in the kingdom of God, if you want to know Jesus, you're going to have to switch some things around because you might not have every answer to every problem, but if you do choose to have faith, to believe in Jesus, he will begin to reveal things to you. He will begin to show things to you. You will begin to know him more. Back to the man that was blind. Did you notice whenever he was healed, Jesus wasn't anywhere around? The Bible says that Jesus spit in the dirt, picked it up, rubbed it together. That's so gross. Smeared it in the man's eyes. Listen, if any of y'all ever do that to me, I will not be as gracious as the blind man was to Jesus. <laughs> He spits in the ground, rubs it in the man's eyes, and instantly the man was healed. Right? Ooh. 
Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. When the man goes away and he washes, Jesus isn't with him. Later on, we see that Jesus had to go find the man. When the man received his healing, Jesus wasn't even there. Jesus gave him the word. He said, go and wash. That means that this blind man who had been born blind, and from Genesis chapter 1 to that moment in time in John chapter 9, no one who had ever been born blind had received their sight. This blind man, he was born with this condition. He didn't even know what sight even meant. He didn't know what it felt like. He, didn't, he had no idea. He had never experienced it. No one else who had been born blind ever had. But there was something about that encounter with Jesus. There was something about the love and the attention and the care that Jesus gave to this man as he was rubbing spit in his face. That this blind man, once he was told to go and wash, he got up on his feet in faith. He walked blindly to the pool in faith. He washed his face in faith. And then he was healed. A lot of times we want God to just do the miraculous without us ever applying our faith. But in the kingdom of God, if you want to know Jesus, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to get up on your own two feet. Jesus said, go and wash. There are two reasons why I told him to go and wash. Number one was because the man had spit mud in his eyes. Number two is because Jesus, whenever he heals, he requires our faith. He requires us to have faith. If you look throughout the Bible, every story you see, whenever someone gets healed, it's because they had they had faith, or at least someone close to them had faith. Somebody had faith whenever a person was healed all throughout the Gospels. If you want to know Jesus, you have to have faith. Here's the last thing. We should know Jesus with our heart. We should know him by faith, and we should know him more. Know him more. Here's the thing about being a Christian. You'll never know it all which is kind of funny because I've met Christians that think they know it all. <laughs> but as a Christian, you'll never know it all. You'll never know every facet, every intricacy about God. But as Christians, Jesus is calling us to know him more, to know him more every day. Notice back in John chapter 6, where we just read a moment ago, Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know. In other words, it wasn't like they just believed and then all of a sudden, bam, they knew everything about Jesus. They, they came to know. The Bible tells us to feel our way towards God. I believe that's in Ephesians. Feel your way towards God. In other words, you're not going to have every answer, but you can know him more than you did yesterday. And tomorrow you can know him more than you do today. Isn't that a beautiful promise from God that we can know him more? Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says, oh that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. Let us press on to know him. And I love the way the New Living Translation words Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16 it says, for since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord, this is the letter Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, said, since I first heard your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, and this is the prayer, 
asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, or that word insight means revelation, or to take the cover off, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. God wants us to have a growing knowledge of him. If you want to know the Lord, you got to know him with your heart. you got to know him by faith, and you should know him more and more every day. I want to show you this right here with the blind man. John chapter 9, verse 10 says, they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus, the man. When the blind man first met Jesus, can you put that uh, next slide up there for me, please? Yeah, that one. When the blind man had been healed and he had been taken now to the Pharisees and they were questioning him, notice what he started. He started saying, Jesus is a man. The man they called Jesus put mud in my eyes. Jesus is a man. But if you'll notice a, a little bit further down in verse 17, they again questioned the man who had been blind and they demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? And the man said, I think he must be a prophet. So the blind man is now saying, you know, the man Jesus, now he's saying Jesus must be a prophet. He's getting to know him. Someone say more. Verse 27, they had asked him again, and the blind man finally got tired and frustrated with all the same questions being asked. And so he started saying, look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? In other words, the blind man is saying, hey, I identify myself with Jesus. He's my teacher. Jesus is a man, and then Jesus is a prophet. Now he's claiming, hey, Jesus is my teacher. And then verse 33, the Pharisees are saying, we, we, you need to give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a, is a sinner. And the blind man says in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Jesus is a man. Now Jesus is a prophet. Now Jesus is my teacher. And now he's saying Jesus is from God. See how he's getting to know him even just through this one conversation. Later on in verse 38, Jesus finds him after the man had been kicked out of church, literally kicked out of synagogues where basically the religious leaders were saying, you are no longer welcome to come and worship with us here anymore. Jesus hears that and it breaks his heart. The man had been suffering, being blind all his life, and now he hears that the man has been kicked out of church. And so Jesus, he goes and he finds the man, and he says, do you believe in the Son of God? The blind man says, I want to believe in him. Who is he? I want to believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. He's the one that's talking to you right now. Notice what the blind man says. You remember... Uh, let me, let me go back, actually. In, uh, I believe it's verse 37. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? The man said, who is he, sir? Who is he, sir? He addresses Jesus as sir. But then after Jesus says, you're looking at him, you're talking to him, the man quickly changes how he addresses Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, I believe. So he goes from Jesus is a man to Jesus is a prophet to Jesus is my teacher to Jesus is from God. And now he's saying, yes, Lord, I believe. I put my trust in you. I know you are God. And then we see at the end of verse 38 that the man falls down and he worships 
Jesus, and Jesus becomes the one that he worships. Just like the blind man, we should have that progressing knowledge of who God is. And it all happens whenever we're able to say, once I was blind, but then I met Jesus. And so I don't know what stage of your life you're in right now. Maybe you've been a believer for longer than I've been alive. But I want to encourage you to learn more about Jesus. We should always be students of his word. We should always be students of theology. But we should always be students of his heart as well. Be a student of Jesus. So for the new believers here today, I want to encourage you to get to know Jesus more. Open your Bible and read about him. Open your Bible and read about him. And then choose in whatever area of your life that you're struggling, that you have problems, that you have issues, that you have dilemmas in, whatever area, choose to intentionally walk by faith. Read about the things of God. Read about the works of Jesus. But in your own life, don't let it stop there, but choose to live with your heart as well and say, I'm going to get up even though I can't see right now, even though things look dark right now, I'm going to get up on my own two feet and I'm going to walk to the pool and I'm going to wash my face because I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can save. I believe that God can deliver and I believe that Jesus loves me. And for those of you that have been believers for longer than I've been alive, can I encourage you with something, something I started doing lately? Develop a new spiritual practice, a new spiritual practice. So I know you've probably, if you've been a believer for a long time and and you've been walking by faith for a long time, I I know sometimes we kind of do the same things over and over, which is good. That's a good spiritual practice, a good spiritual habit to have. But can I encourage you to start a new spiritual practice? Like for me here, just in the last couple of months, I've started walking when I pray. And I know it sounds simple, sounds easy, you know, whatever. But this is why I, I was reading Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And, and so I just kind of took it literally. And I know it's, it's not saying to, to walk humbly with God, like literally. I know it's a, a spiritual uh, analogy. But I just kind of started taking it as, as practical advice that, you know, God, I can walk with you. And as I walk, I pray. And I, I just walk, and I pray, and most of the time it's down here in the, the Family Life Center. I got the lights all out dark, and I just walk laps inside the Family Life Center, and I just pray. And whenever I talk to him, I, just, I started saying, you know, I, I've known God as my father, but I want to know him more intimately as my friend. And so I invite him. I know this sounds silly. I don't want to give you all the personal details of my life, but I just started inviting him. Whenever I start walking, I just say, Holy Spirit, will you walk with me? And I walk and I just start talking to him as if he was a friend standing and walking right beside me. I know it's not silly, but I'll be like, Jesus, I don't know if you saw that volcano, but it was awesome. (laughs) And I just start talking to him as if his brother Arnie and I were just walking side by side. I'm not saying you need to do that. I just, I looked in the Bible and I saw that Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the, the cool of the evening in the garden. And Enoch, the Bible tells us he walked with God for 300 years, and then God just poof, took him up. He's just like, all right, I'm ready for you. Come on up here. Took him up. He walked with God for 300 years. And the Bible tells us that Noah walked with God before the flood. He walked 
with God and Abram, the Bible tells us that he walked with God. And, and we even read in the New Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Bible tells us that they walked with God. As a married couple, they walked with God. And I don't know if that means literally or, or figuratively. I don't know. But what I do know is that I've started saying, hey, you know what? I can walk with God too. And I'm going to take it kind of almost in a literal sense. I'm just going to walk and invite him to come along with me and just talk to him like a friend. So I want to encourage you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, start a new spiritual practice. Do something different that you've never done before just so you can get to know him in a different way. I don't know what they may look like for you. I would encourage new believers to do that too, but I don't know what they may look like for you, but just do something different so you can know him differently. Know him with your heart. Know him by faith. And every day, know him more. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the ability to know you, that you're not just some distant God that we pray dead and and meaningless prayers to. God, we thank you that you're not just a duty to that we should come and perform for you, God, but that you are a God that cares intimately about us and that you are a God who wants to walk with us and have fellowship with us and conversation with us. We thank you how intimate and how personal you are with every one of us. And God, I pray that we would begin to know you beyond just a, a theological knowledge, God, but that we would begin to know you too with our hearts, to know your motives, to know your characters, to know your thoughts. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would know you by faith, that we would stand up in faith and walk boldly in faith to do whatever you've asked us to do. And God, I pray that we would know you more every single day so that the world would be able to look at us and say, there's something a little bit different about them. They must have something I've never heard of before. God, I pray that we would be those people in Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. Amen, amen.